BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome to the new midweek edition of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm Lucas, this is Chris. So we're still going to have our, you know, beginning of the week edition, but instead, but we decided that because this podcast has been doing well and just because we wanted to give you guys more Sixer content, we're going to go ahead and start doing a midweek edition along with our beginning of the week edition of the podcast as well. Uh, that being said, Chris, how's the middle of the week treating you? It's treating me fine. How about you? Doing good, doing good. I was hoping to get some snow tonight. So I didn't have to go to work tomorrow, but right now it's just kind of like rained and it's not as cold as I thought it was going to get. So I don't think we're going to have icy roads, which of course, right, icy roads is not good for people's safety, but it would also mean that I don't have to go to work tomorrow and that would be nice, but life is what it is. So I manage. How's college treating you? Um, it, it, it's treating me pretty well. Uh, I've got some pretty big assignments coming up, but nothing, nothing too bad. Cool. I, I think we're ready to, to jump into some Sixers talk. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Take it away. you got the first subject here. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the Kings game first. Another win for the Sixers. 119-111 to 111 was the final score. This is game one of what is going to be a four-game road trip for the team out west. Uh, but notably, this was not a game that it you know, didn't quite look like Philadelphia was going to win for a very large portion of that game. It was really a big fourth quarter comeback, a fourth quarter surge that um, seized the victory for them. But the Kings put up a pretty valiant effort, Lucas. We're just going to start with pros, cons, some main takeaways. What were your pros um, from Philadelphia in that game? My pros, and it's going to go into what did I take away from the game as well. So it's kind of like a two for one here. My pros is that even if Joel, assuming that we have a healthy starting five, the Sixers can survive an off night from Joel Embiid. And I say off night, he still had 25 points and like, what was it, 17 rebounds? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's an off night for Joel Embiid. MVP uh, should be an MVP favorite, if not the front runner. But, you know, narrative is a big thing. So it looks like LeBron James is going to get it. But that being said, um, the team as constructed can pull off a win against a very hot Kings team like De'Aaron Fox, man, until, uh, and, you know, uh, I guess we can say Matisse Thibel and 
he was a very big pro that game, even though he didn't take a shot. His defense on on Fox in the second half of that game really changed the course of that game and the supporting cast as a whole because you had guys like Shake Milton and even Cork Maz and Seth Curry really getting hot from the perimeter. I think that, that that's a really positive overall take is that the role players stepped up when they needed to, which was nice. I, I, I agree completely. Matisse was huge down the stretch there in limiting Fox, who had 34 points on the night. A great game from him. Um, Marvin Bagley had 17 and played some surprisingly competent defense on Joel. Right. But he healed. Yeah, the Kings came into this game again on a four-game win streak. They, they, they look like a pretty solid team out west. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but they they seem to be much better this year than they were last year, trending in the right direction for sure. So it was a really strong and, and valiant effort on their part. And I want to go back to what you mentioned about Embiid having an off night because, again, like just to emphasize, he had 25 points, 17 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks on 15 shots, 13 of 14 from the free throw line. And the general consensus is that he had an off night. So that, that's where we're at with Joe at this point. This was easily his worst game in like a month, month plus. And it was still, by just about every standard, a really strong outing. So, like you said, MVP favorite in my book, LeBron, Jokic, Kawhi, Steph, all those guys have, have a case to be made. But my pick right now, maybe I'm, I'm biased. I know this is a Sixers podcast, but I, I think you have to hand it to Joe at this point. Another positive is Seth Curry, 22 points. Mm-hmm. Easily his best game in a minute. He had really struggled after coming back from COVID. Took him a few games to get back into things. He had like eight scoreless quarters at one point after coming back. 22 points in this game. Four of six from deep. Tied with Tobias for the second leading scorer on the team. I think his return is going to be big. The team is still, as you mentioned, undefeated when the entire starting five is healthy. They're 15-3 and when Curry plays. It's clear that he has a pretty big impact on this team. So his his return to form was was a really big positive. And moving on to cons now, Lucas, what were some more negative takeaways? Uh, Is that the Sixers could not figure out how to get the ball to Embiid when Marvin Bagley was fronting him. First off, let me give this to Marvin Bagley. You need to play center. You're not a power forward in today's NBA. You need to you play good defense against one of the the pro, arguably the best center in the NBA, arguably MVP of the league. Play center. That's it. You're good at it. Just do it. Like I, you know, that's just that's me trying to reach out to Marvin Bagley, trying to make the you know save his career there because you know he needs to be playing center not not no good knock against Rashawn Holmes who we'll talk about here in a little bit but the Sixers need to figure out how to get Joel and the ball when he's fronted and that's partially on Doc Rivers partially on Ben partially on Shake and well Tyrese Maxey didn't play this game but if if he's getting fronted in the post they need to figure out something how another way to get him involved in the offense um that's a con so the other negative that i would say besides that is that i mean we could say we can complain about danny green shooting matisse dival's lack of offensive consistency and you know what you wrote something yesterday and i was actually going to piggyback off of it tomorrow most likely about dwight howard how do you think it's time to try to see if tony bradley would be a better backup center than dwight 
No, I don't think it would be. You don't think so? Not yet. No, I mean, like, like Tony Bradley's just not very good. He he doesn't do anything quality minutes better than Dwight uh, does. Bear last year. Yeah, I mean, like Dwight's a fine backup. Bradley's like a fine third string center. Neither of them space the floor. Bradley's a downgrade defensively. You know, I, I I would stick with Dwight. He's definitely frustrating at times, and I mentioned that in the article you're referencing. But uh, at this point, I, I they don't really have anyone better. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like I said, my biggest you know negative is that you know you got to find a way to get Joel more involved in the offense when they front him, and then Danny Green's shooting. I mean, it wasn't great. He didn't finish the game. You finished the game with Matisse Thybul, who literally didn't even attempt a shot which I know Doc Rivers likes to play the players' strengths and not try to, like, exploit their weaknesses, but we got to figure out something with Thibault because as I, you saw that I wrote today, Thibault's literally a jump shot away, a consistent jump shot away from being a starter on this team, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong there either. I mean, he's just such a tremendous defender, a, a genuine marvel on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's he, he does pretty much nothing well offensively, like there's not a particular strength that you can point to offensively. He's not a good dribbler, not a good shooter, not a particularly strong cutter, doesn't pass the ball overly well, isn't the quickest decision maker. Like he, he there's really nothing there that you can point to to say, Oh, here's how he's gonna contribute to this team offensively. So it's it's That's tough. But he, he is so good defensively. We mentioned the Fox aspect of it in the fourth quarter um that he's going to keep getting minutes regardless yeah you know he's one of those guys if he actually played enough minutes you'd be an all defensive team but he doesn't play enough minutes he's averaging he's averaging 17 minutes a game right now but he would have to at least average 24 to get considered for that position and he's not this season that's just not going to be the case hopefully this next offseason he really buckles down on this and yet again uriah seems to always miss the podcast where we give credit to mistis thibel sorry uriah we know you're, you're missing out but yeah that i guess the green inconsistency is another thing that's always going to plague the sixers right now i mean he's going to be hot some games he's going to be cold some games he's shooting about 39 percent from the field not great but 36 percent from three-point land so you live with it and his defense is still on point. It's just his offense is deteriorating rather quickly, uh, especially not re- involving, you know, spot-up three-pointers. So, guys, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. The Sixer Sense Podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments, to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Did you hear me? 2 million men worldwide. And today, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Check it out. 20% off, plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Again, the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. So, if you're wondering what are some cool items that come in the package, no pun intended, the Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. In addition, the trimmer comes with an LED light for a more precise shave, 
and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. So what are you waiting for, guys? Stay trimmed and stay fresh for your wife or your significant other. Just use the code FANSIDED20 to get your 20% off and free shipping today. And now, back to the pod. Uh, I mean, like, my counter to that is that he's never really been much other than a spot-up shooter, and he's still a pretty good one. I think he's been more than serviceable on that end. Especially, He moves well off the ball, too, which is helpful with Joe and Ben. And like you said, his defense, I think, is a lot better than he gets credit for. He gets burned on ball every now and then. Part of that is just because Doc tends to give him pretty difficult matchups. A lot of guys who Ben should be guarding and who Ben probably would guard in the playoffs tend to be assigned to Danny Green right now. And that's just not necessarily fair to him. But off the ball, great defender, great hands, good instincts. He's been really solid, I think, really on both ends. Uh, I wrote about this not too long ago. Like, I think he deserves a lot more credit than he's gotten. Um, You know, nothing special, nothing that jumps off the page. But I think he's been a really solid fifth starter in in my book. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not bad. Like, if if we could bring him off the bench, I think that would be better. But I don't think that's happening unless Matisse finally magically finds a jumper but and shows that he has it for, like, two months. (laughs) Anyway, um, but that's... So I guess we kind of already talked about this, but um, what was that last point you wanted to touch on on this section? Yeah, so just broadly speaking, what what were your, your core takeaways? What do you think this is about the Sixers moving forward? In terms as the team, is that, that they can survive with Joel Embiid having an off night and Ben Simmons not going off? Matisse, uh, the Tobias Harris had a Tobias Harris night, you know, 22 points, 8 of 15 from the floor, 2 of uh, two of 5 from the three-point line, 10 rebounds. Steph Curry, as you said, went off. Uh, Shake Milton had a solid night, so did Cork Maz. Those role players need to have, you know, good games when Joel Embiid's not an MVP, and that's what happened here. Um and as long as that happens, you know, the Sixers can survive a night, an off night from Joel Embiid. It's crazy to think that, you know, 25 points and 17 rebounds, six assists, two steals, two blocks, or an off night. Um, but as an NBA team as a whole, first off, it shows that the Sixers can be, can come back from a game where they should not have won because that never really happened last year. So that's good coaching on Doc Rivers. He's done that plenty of times before. We saw in the 08 finals against the Lakers in game four, I think it was. And the only reason why I remember that is that I just re- I just watched the uh, all all about the smoke podcast this uh, this afternoon this morning where Doc Rivers was a guest and he was talking about that. So kudos to Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson for that fun podcast. Um no, I think, you know, Doc Rivers has definitely made his impact on this team. He has players starring in their roles. Matisse Leibel is doing that. And I think this even makes a stronger case for the Sixers being a legit contender in the East. I mean, Brooklyn's struggling right now. The Bucks are definitely not impervious. It definitely, I think this is pushing them closer to that top tier in the East, if not already pushed them into that top tier. Yeah, I, I agree. Like you mentioned, a really solid night from Shake, from Furkan, from Seth, from Matisse. 
That hasn't really been the case a lot lately. They, they, the bench especially has been pretty rough. The guards in general have been pretty rough in recent weeks. So you mentioned them being able to win without Joel. It's they, they, they have to have more nights like that where everyone is contributing on some level. That That's really going to help them when Joel doesn't have his best night. But yeah, I, I, I agree with all the points you made. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to, you know, we're on the Kings, but we're going to switch gears because that was the only game that the Sixers played between this podcast and last. But we're going to talk about two former Sixers that are currently on the team on the uh, on the Kings, and that's Rashawn Holmes and Glenn Robinson. What are your thoughts on their current roles with that team? Um, I mean, we can start with Rashawn, who's obviously the most notable of the two. Uh, he's just done a really tremendous job this season. He's pretty much run away with that starting job. He is a, a really solid rim protector and shot blocker, as we, we always knew in Philadelphia. But his growth offensively in terms of decision making and and efficiency as well as just his growth defensively. Um, I mean, fouls were a big problem for him when he was in Philly why he couldn't really stay on the floor as much as some people wanted him to. And he has, he solved that to where he can play big minutes in Sacramento against most centers, maybe not including Joel Embiid, who got him into foul trouble. But that, that's what Embiid does. Again, more nights than, than not, Holmes has been able to play big minutes for Sacramento. And he's done a really good job on both sides for them. So uh, it's just a credit to his work ethic, his competitiveness, which is never really in question in Philadelphia. And it's really nice to see him land on his feet somewhere. And then with Glenn Robinson, he, he he's pretty much just doing what, what he does. A pretty solid backup wing, athletic, can defend a couple positions, hit the occasional three ball. Nothing particularly special, nothing that's a big departure from what his role was in Philly last year. Um, he, he didn't always have a, a stable role here, and he might be able to carve one out in Sacramento. He played 17 minutes against the Sixers. But pretty much just the same old, same old from him. So yeah, Rashawn Holmes is having he's averaging a career high in minutes, rebounds, not rebounds, sorry, minutes, uh, points and assists this season, as well as blocks. You know, he's a twelve well, basically thirteen, eight and uh one point seven guy on sixty five percent shooting from the field. The you know he's probably near or at his peak of his career. Like you said, he's keeping Hashin Whiteside on the bench, which is at this point in Whiteside's career not that hard because he's so prone to foul trouble, and he's a lackadaisical defender outside of the paint. That being said, um, Holmes I think would be uh, best served as a backup, and that's just you know I think this is where you're going to get and if you're getting this from your starting center, you're going to need more on the team and they don't have that yet. So I would like to see, like I said earlier, Marvin Bagley take that step switch to that center role, which he did pretty well against as in the Sixers game. So maybe Luke Walton, head coach Luke Walton, tries that more with him in the future. Um, but no, I think Holmes is having the greatest stretch of his career right now. And I'm proud of him for that. I think he deserves it after you know, the hard work that he's put in with the Sixers and then the Suns. Uh, Glenn Robinson, like you said, he's being a 3 and D guy, much less minutes than last year, but he's still efficient. 44% shooting from the field, 38, 38.5% shooting from three-point range, 5.5 points per game. Coming off the bench, solid 3 and D role player off the bench on a good team. 
And, you know, that's what I think they're both, I think they're both in solid positions to, for them to thrive in their roles. But Chris, what do you think if they were on this team, what type of roles would they have on this current Sixers team? Well, I mean, I think Holmes would be a pretty obvious upgrade over Dwight. We were just talking about him struggling in certain spots this season as the Sixers backup. I think Holmes is a much better player at this point in his career. He'd be a pretty remarkable backup. He's probably too good to be the backup to Joel Embiid and play 13 minutes a night, frankly. But if he was still in Philly, that's probably the role he would fill. Um, I mean, the counter to that is that if he had stayed in Philadelphia behind Joel, he might not have taken the steps that he has taken in Sacramento where he gets more playing time and more opportunity. So it's kind of a a double-edged sword in that sense. But he'd be the backup center probably. And as far as Glenn Robinson, uh, it'd probably be pretty pretty close to what it was last season where he was, you know, that 10th, 11th guy in the rotation, not really getting consistent minutes towards the end. I, I would venture to guess that Furkan would probably beat him out for minutes again. Shake, Maxi coming into the fold, etc. Matisse taking another step as he has recently defensively. It'd be pretty hard for him to, to, to crack that 10-man rotation, 9-man rotation consistently. So uh, I, I, I think it'd be pretty much where he was last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I tend to agree with you there. And like you said, he's Holmes is too good to be Joel Embiid's backup. And Holmes will definitely be a um, starter on about half the NBA teams, I would say. At least like 10 that I can think of off the top of my head. But I mean, it just depends. If you have him as your backup center, you're probably in title contention. And that's that's a pretty good place. Glenn Robinson, he's he's in your rotation, but he's near the end of your rotation uh, for the Sixers this year because you know he doesn't bring that dynamic scoring like Horkong does, but he's a better defender. So you know, I would say he probably like you said eighth or ninth man. It just depends on what I mean, they. Need. I'd say more like tenth, eleventh. Really, I don't know. I, I I think he would be a regular rotation person because of his defense. His offense is like I, mean, I said he's. He's not that good a defender. He's not like a game-changing defender. He's better than Furkan, but it's pretty clear that I think Doc is a fan of what Korkmaz brings offensively, and I do think Korkmaz's skill set is pretty useful given the Sixers' personnel and the fact that they're built around Joel. So I I, I would say he probably struggles to get minutes. Yeah, well, maybe. I don't know. Agree to disagree there. But Chris, do you want to bring us to our next big subject here? Yeah, so we're going to talk about the um, upcoming NBA trade, di- trade deadline in March. We'll start big and, and work small, work to the smaller guys. We're going to start with the big stars potentially on the market. Is there anyone of that caliber, Lucas, that you think the Sixers might um, have an interest in, might be able to to target and go after? For Sixers fans hoping Bradley Beal is going to be on the market, it's probably not going to happen during this season. If it happens, like Adrian Wojnarowski and VSPN has elaborated multiple times, it's probably going to happen after this season. It's just the type of guy Beal is. He wants to try to fix things. I think if it happens, it's going to happen during this. So Beal's not an option. I don't know if Zach Levine's an option either, just because I feel like the Bulls would ask for a King's Ransom. 
And this, if I'm the Sixers, I wouldn't give it to him because their King's Ransom would involve Ben Simmons, and I wouldn't trade Ben Simmons for Zach Levine. I wouldn't because Zach Levine has, hasn't proven to be a winner, and Ben has. Plus, we realize how important Ben's playmaking and and defense is, and Levine, while averaging like five assists, also averages like close to four four turnovers too. So like he's he's a turnover machine, and then it. Zach Levine is not a defender at all, so I I wouldn't do Levine. I would probably aim for either Kyle Lowry or oh gosh, I had the other guy on the tip of my tongue for a second. Well, let me talk about Lowry while I'm figuring this out. I've I've been a big proponent, as you know, Chris, of aiming for Kyle Lowry. Though the uh, that was before this recent surge by the uh, Raptors. Though the Raptors still might just be like, you know what, let's just. Get something back for Lowry. He might leave anyway, though I don't think he would. Uh, you know, they might want to sh- start trending to go younger. I mean, they might try to go get a young, you know, a player with a lot of upside or, you know, because Lowry's 34. He doesn't have that much of his prime left, though. You got to give him credit for playing at an all-star level right now. And I think if you, you can get Lowry, I, I think it's possible to get him without giving up Ben and you'd have to give up shake and and or maxi probably one not both but i think you do that deal for especially if it's shake for uh kyle lowry you know you'd have to do shake plus um danny green mike scott um it'd have to be some moving pieces and you probably have to have to get a third team to take on some contract money but you could make it work um there was one other guy. I'll let you go, Chris, while I think about him because I, I I had him and then I lost. Yeah, I think I think Beal and Levine are the two big names that everyone's harping on. Like you said, I I doubt Beal has moved this season. It seems like he he doesn't want to be moved necessarily, and the Wizards have been pretty staunch about not moving him in the past. And if if he does hit the trade market, it's going to cost a lot. Uh, it's probably going to take at least Ben Simmons to, to get him at this point. And while I'm I'm open to discussing that trade, Beal is a pretty remarkable offensive talent. Mm-hmm. Just like people should know that it's going to be a bit uncomfortable, the amount that they would have to part with to get Beal. It's going to be pretty close to impossible to get him without giving up Simmons and probably more. Levine, I think, could be had without giving up Simmons. But that would take quite a bit, too. It would probably involve a large uh, number of draft picks and probably Shake Milton, maybe Tyrese Maxey. Like, either way, both those guys are going to be quite expensive. I, too, agree that I wouldn't trade Ben for Levine. I don't think he's good enough defensively, and he's has made gr- improvements as a playmaker, as a passer, in terms of just making teammates better this season. But I, I still don't think he's the kind of player... That, that you can trade Ben for. Uh, Lowry seems far more likely. There's that report that some executives in the Raptors front office think it's time to move on and time to to start their rebuild or their retooling in earnest and you know get what they can for Lowry if that is their stance by the time the trade deadline comes. Of course, Philly should be interested. He's old, as you said, but he's an all-star tal- caliber guard, a guard who has played big minutes on a championship team already so brings a lot of experience leadership his skill set fits pretty snugly with 
Joel and Ben. So I I would be a big proponent of that. Like you said, it'd probably take Danny Green, Mike Scott, some younger guys, a draft pick or two. But I I, I, I tend to say I'd do that in a heartbeat. So I, I think Lowry's definitely the most feasible name um, that would qualify as a quote-unquote star in, in Philadelphia's orbit. The Raptors might not want to trade him in division, but if they're going to rebuild, it might not matter. So I, mm-hmm. I would definitely keep an eye on that. There, there, there are two other names that are like one's a star and one's like a starter, but both of them I think would be interesting ideas. And the, the star that I'm thinking of here and this isn't the original guy that I was thinking of, but I can't remember who I was thinking of then. So I'm going with uh, going with this guy. And I've thought about this before. I haven't brought it up to you or Uriah, but I don't feel good about saying this, but just, just follow my train of thought here for a second. Kyrie Irving. The reason why I say Kyrie Irving is that the Nets are an absolute mess right now. He's taking the most shots out of anybody, and he should be taking the least amount of shots because he's not, you know... He, He's the least proficient scorer out of the three of them. Not saying that he's bad or anything, but you have two future Hall of Famers, surefire first battle Hall of Famers, and James Harden, Kevin Durant, and you're still taking more shots than either. I will say that Irving's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, yeah, but I don't think he's a first ballot. But anyway, you you get what I'm saying, though. Um, The offense looks weird at times with the three of them, and then defensively they're just horrendous. I'm not saying that they should do this, and I don't. I don't even know how the mechanics of this would work off the top of my head. It would probably have to involve Thibel, uh, not Thibel. You're not getting Kyrie without giving up Ben. Well, then I wouldn't do it. So never mind. So that was just a random thought that I, you know, I don't know. I like the idea of Irving and Joel, but then I, you know, the idea of it. But then I realized that Doc Rivers could not get Kyrie to buy in because nobody can get Kyrie to buy in because he's a ball stopper. And I don't, I don't know. Kyrie's a pretty special talent, and he's a special talent. But you, you, you can't get him to buy into a system. Like you, you it's never happened. He bought in in Cleveland. I know he wanted out. He asked well, out. So saying he bought in is maybe a bit strong. But he. He accepted his role. He took a backseat to LeBron. He played off the ball really well. Like, uh, like two I, seasons I, before he got fed up and asked for a trade. Yeah, and that's fine. But I don't think the same problem would arise in Philadelphia since they don't they don't have LeBron, and he's been pretty open minded with regards to KD, who he wanted to play with, and Harden coming in. Like, I don't really have a problem with him taking the most shots. That probably won't last all season, and. He's a really good scorer, and when all the defensive attention is focused on stopping Harden, who's the main playmaker, and Durant, who's Kevin Durant, it naturally might give Irving some matchup advantages in his favor that he he's more than capable of taking advantage of. So I guess I don't know. I'm just I'm not any anyway. So that's that's the I don't know. I Irving I wouldn't do Ben Simmons, but maybe that would be the only way. But if if you could get him without sending Ben Simmons, then I would do it just because I think that would make a really good big three because Ben would still be the primary playmaker. Irving could be the point shooting guard, whatever you want to call him, because he's not a point guard. And then Joel does Joel things. Um, the other guy, and you know, I watched this. Uh, you, you know Hoops reference on Twitter. He's one of our followers on the main page. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he he also has a YouTube page, and I was watching one of his videos uh, earlier today or last night. I forget. It was I think it was earlier today, and he suggested that Devonte Graham could be on the move because he's in the last year of his contract, and you know Lamella Ball is balling it up and. Charlotte and he's the Graham looks like the odd man out. He could still be a starter in the league. Do you think Graham is a good option for the Sixers? And if so, what would do you think it would take to get him? Yeah, it would depend on the price. Obviously, I I don't know if I'd give up of like an, uh, I mean I could I could see the argument for giving up a first in the near future, just given that Philly's really good and it would be a late first rounder, but Mm-hmm. Like you said, last year of his contract, he's going to get some sort of extension this offseason. He hasn't played very well this year. You mentioned the odd man down. His efficiency has been way down compared to last season. But as like a volume shooter who could be like the sixth man in Philadelphia on a title contender, I think that would, he'd fit pretty well. So, yeah, if, if it's not too expensive, if it's like a first or a couple seconds and some like a minimum salary guy, if that's all he's fetching on the market, then yeah, I'm all over that. But I think it would probably end up taking like a lottery protected first and, and probably shake. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm not huge on giving up shake in that trade. Like I, I don't know if the difference is, is as great as it would need to be to justify that. I don't know. I, I mean, if it was just him for shake straight up with no draft picks, I'd be tempted. I, I would be. It's it's a tempting offer. Yeah, but I, I mean, maybe I'm I'm dumb for saying no to that, but Shake also has two years on a minimum contract, and Devontae right. is expiring, and he would need an extension. And again, like Graham hasn't been very good this year. He can shoot no, he the has. ball well, and he can shoot it a lot, but he's not a good defender. He's much smaller than Shake. Yes, like, he's, but... I wouldn't give up too much for him, is basically what I'm saying. Well, I guess my question is, if you get Graham... Would you play him over Maxi? Yeah, I mean, he'd be better in the short term for a team that's trying to win. I think he could definitely contribute and play with Shake, etc. Mm-hmm. So if it, like if it's not a a steep price, I'd be all for it. But hey, uh, we could trade. I, I feel like Ferguson uh, in a protected first for him. Hmm. Terrence Ferguson in a protected first. Why not? Yeah, like if it was that, I'd consider it, but. Other teams in a less competitive situation might be more tempted to outbid Philly for someone like Graham. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's always tough. Going back to your, your Kyrie suggestion, I, I think he's pretty much like in the same class as Beal, where I'd like, I, I'd consider swapping Ben for Kyrie. It's an interesting hypothetical, but the defensive drop off on the perimeter would be pretty significant and then you give Brooklyn an elite defender granted they really what they really need is a rim protector that's not something Ben's gonna gonna give them but they did sign Noah Vonley yesterday yeah like no like I'm not really worried about Noah Vonley so either I'm just saying they're trying yeah they're they're trying it the buyout market will be really interesting they have some money to spend there as does Philadelphia yeah, so if Andre Drummond gets bought out, that's a name to watch. Though I don't know if he would really, you know, f- fix their defense. But we'll see. I what I would be more interested in Kyrie than I think it sounds like you are. Like I I think he's on the same level as Ben. 
He's one of the just most gifted individual scorers of all time. Well, not of all time, but in recent history, he's he's just a super he's talented a top scorer. fifteen ISO scorer in NBA history. I think that's yeah. fair to say. And that's something they've never had with Joel. He'd take a lot of pressure off of Joe late in games. He'd be a different outlet for this team offensively that uh, I think would do really good big things. I, I think, I he's think most likely if, if that were to happen, it would probably happen in the offseason. Yeah. I, and like, look, the Kyrie, I, I'm really not as worried like about the personality stuff as some seem to be. Like he, he took a mental health break or whatever. Like that's, it really doesn't concern me. I don't think he'd be a locker room problem or anything. Maybe I'm wrong. He clearly didn't get along with people in Boston as well as he needed to in Cleveland. So maybe I'm just naive. But um, broadly speaking, I don't think it would happen. So it's probably not something we really need to harp on. I, I don't I don't know. But um, is there any other – I can't remember if there's any other big name. I mean, I guess – what Lonzo Ball? I don't really see him as a big name. I mean, he's kind of a big name, but I don't. I would not go for him right now, based off of our current personnel. Um, yeah, and that. I mean, that's a pretty nice segue into our next point, which is yeah. minor deals that you would like to mm-hmm. see more pursue. Mm-hmm. Are there any names in that category that that come to mind? I mean, JJ Redick is one, but I think we both agree it would probably be better to wait for him to get bought out versus trading for him. I think the buyout market is much more likely for him because teams know that if he doesn't get the traded, thing is, if if anyone offers anything, in that case, they would just take the trade. Like unless there's a complete absence of a market and no one's willing to offer even a second round pick and contract filler, then they're not they're not going to buy him out. Like if someone makes a trade, they're going to probably make it, get what they can. Yeah, I guess if so, it, yeah. If well, Boston I mean, wants to use their trade exception, if Brooklyn wants to fork over Spencer Dinwiddie, then, then Philly's going to have to make like a serious offer. Yeah, yeah, and here's what I think. I don't think the, the Nets don't need any more offense. They know that. They need defense. They're not going to go after J.J. They already have Joe Harris. They don't need J.J. Boston, if I had my guess, and I, I this is just me thinking out loud here, I think once – if Kevin Love comes back healthy, they use that exception on Kevin Love. Because what they need is a legit starting power forward, and Kevin Love does that for them. And the back uh, front court of Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson has proven to win a championship. So, um, I mean, with the caveat that LeBron was on their team. I mean, yeah, but you got Jason Tatum and Jaden Jalen Brown, which is who are not the dynamic duo. I mean, not on LeBron's level, but I mean, you got that. And and assuming that Kemba Walker can return to form, that's not a bad caveat there. So I like anyway. So, yeah, I think the Sixers are probably the favorites to get Redick either in a trade or a buyout, because I don't think the Celtics use part of that trade exception. I think they swing big because that's what Danny Ainge does. Outside of that, I would like to get either a stretch five or another stretch four. Um, I wrote about several free agents I could fill in that gap for the stretch four. Uh, stretch five, I <sighs> Dario Sarch maybe is the name. I don't know if the Sixers can swing that trade, but if they could, he can f- play either stretch four or stretch five. Familiar with the team, obviously. Um, 
I like I don't know. Like I said, I don't think he's available. But if he is, cool. Uh, I can't pronounce his name for life, life, uh, life of me. But he he spurned the Sixers for the Sacramento Kings and uh, three years ago, uh, two years ago. We with Mike Scott. Yeah, Bielitsa. I can't remember. I don't know how to pronounce his first name. Um, he's an option. He's out of their rotation. They're not. They're they're looking to shop him. He's a solid stretch four. You could even throw out Robin Lopez. He proved that he could hit threes last year. I don't know. If, I don't think the death chart in Washington would allow them to consider trading him, but could be an option. Um, he's a solid defender, not as good as Dwight or, you know, but not bad. Try and think here. There aren't that many good options as stretch centers available as is. Um, the Sixers could go young, try to get a guy like Jackson Hayes, who seems like the, looking at the outside, looking in on that Pelicans rotation, even though he's a former lottery pick. Uh, Lonzo Ball is not an option in my book. Um, just doesn't make sense with this, you know. He needs to have a team where he's the only uh, primary playmaker in the a starting five where he would be the only primary playmaker that would make sense. I said Devonte Graham. He's not a star. That's all I could really think of. Did anybody come to your mind when you thought about this? I mean, I think the big name as far as stretch bigs go would be PJ Tucker. Um, I oh, know yeah. Houston doesn't seem too eager to deal with Daryl Morey right now, but PJ Tucker isn't. James Harden and it, I mean I think the reports that I've read said that the going like the asking price is three second round picks. Uh, Tucker's old; he's on an expiring contract. I'd do that in a heartbeat. Like Mike Scott in three seconds, you know, done deal. They can also fit him into their trade exception, I believe, from the Al Horford deal. Good. So they mm-hmm. don't even need to give up Mike Scott if they don't want to. Just clear a roster spot. I'd, I'd do do that in a heartbeat. Another guy I've written about on the side is Wayne Ellington, who is just, like, scorching the Nets this season in Detroit. Obviously, mm-hmm. Detroit isn't trying to win a lot of basketball games. Ellington is on a one-year veteran's minimum contract. Can probably give you what J.J. would give you for a much cheaper price, potentially. So I think he's a name they should look at. Yeah, they could literally send a second and uh, Terrence Ferguson, and that would be good enough for them because they traded D Rose for mm-hmm. Dennis Smith Jr. in a second. So I don't see why Ferguson in a second wouldn't get you Dwayne, uh, Wayne Ellington or even Ferguson without a second. That's yeah, not a bad like the thing. Sixers got Burks and Robinson for a couple of seconds last season. So they just have to pick the right rebuilding team see if they can siphon off a, a another shooter or two that that's really the way to go i think yeah i, I like a lot of the names you mentioned but I, I i mean i think pj tucker is the big one that really makes a lot of sense uh he would fill a lot of holes in that second unit you could put him at center you can put him at small forward anywhere in between he could fit in all sorts of different lineups very malleable a great corner shooter a guy with veteran experience and, and toughness that Philadelphia could benefit from. So I, I'd be a big advocate for, for Tucker. Of course. Yeah. Tucker is a big name. I was thinking about the Angelo Russell for a second, but then I realized that no way Carl Anthony Towns lost that to happen. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's trades to be made for sure. And I think there's plenty of free agents too, that that definitely need to be looked at. Um, 
uh, three free agents I talked about, at least um, I know this isn't technically on point, but we're talking about trying to upgrade the roster. Um, three free agents I wrote about recently was uh, Omari Spellman, Michael Beasley, and Irsan Ilyasova. Uh, those would all help fill up the depth chart at the uh, stretch four. How would you feel about any of those guys? Yeah, I mean, I can't, like Beasley just went undrafted in the G League. I, I don't think he's anywhere near someone who would get minutes. Um, I don't like he's I, I just don't know if he's worth a roster spot at this point. I think Ilyasova is probably the most interesting name from that group. Um, Spellman's younger, but Ursan obviously knows the personnel to some degree and can shoot, play stretch five every now and then. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where he's at physically, given the long layoff and COVID and everything. But like, like I'd I'd be up for Urson on a minimum contract for sure. I guess if we're talking about former Bucks players from last year too, um, in, not in the power forward vein, but um, did Kyle Korver play well last year for them? Because I honestly don't remember. Um, I mean, he got minutes every now and then, but I'm I'm pretty sure he's over the hill. Yeah. I mean, certainly he's, he's, like he's not going to defend a traffic cone, you know. <laughs> no, that's the that's the Wizards, not him. Uh, yeah, poor so. Bradley Beal. Don't you just feel bad for him on a serious note? Like, I mean, I he's like a multi-millionaire, like... so not too bad. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would it would be nice to see him on a team that had any like, you know, was closer to contention, and uh, he seems pretty. Pretty upset at times, but he also evidently wants to stay and stick around. So I can't. I, I don't feel too bad for him. Uh, I mean, he played fifty. He averaged sixteen points, uh, sixteen minutes last year on an average six, uh, almost seven points a game on fifty-one percent shooting, almost fifty-two percent shooting from three-point land. So the guy could still shoot in a limited role, but he's like four, thirty-nine now. So maybe he just wants to be done. I mean, like, uh, like Corver, it's another guy where, like, he, he's just not going to play normally. You know, he's there's no spot for him in the rotation. It'd, it'd take uh, an injury or two for to get to him. Yeah, but he'd be a really good bench guy. I mean... Yeah, I mean, if you want to, like, drop Vincent Poirier and sign Kyle to the minimum, that's fine. But yeah, it's not, like, oh, a need-moving type of situation. Certainly. So let's go ahead and get transitioned to our last subject here. And that's going to be, where do you think the Sixers rank in the East right now? Do you think that they are a favorite to win it? No, not personally. I, I, I Again, I've said this on other podcasts recently. I, I think Milwaukee and Brooklyn are still the favorites. Um, Philly has a chance if Joel keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to be in the MVP conversation. They have a team that's built fairly well around him. The lack of a, a real true perimeter creator still scares me a bit. If they were to get Kyle Lowry, then I might change my tune. But for all the talk about Brooklyn's defense, which is undeniably a concern, they they do have three of the most gifted offensive players in modern history. The Bucks still have one of the three or four best players on the planet, if not the like, second or first best in Giannis with a pretty significant upgrade in the backcourt in Drew Holiday. That's a team that's been the number one seed the past couple of seasons now. They've won a lot of basketball games. They haven't quite figured it out in the playoffs, but 
I mean, he, he, there's some benefit of the doubt there. Budenholzer might not be the guy to get them over the hump, but the Bucks are a really good team on both sides of the ball. They have the personnel to give Joel trouble in a way that most teams don't. So I, I would say Philly's probably third in my Eastern Conference power rankings right now as far as who I think will like compete for a championship. But they're definitely a lot closer than I thought they would be coming into the season. So they're they're moving in the right direction. For sure. And I totally forgot, and I, I'll, I'll just jump back to you real quick. In terms of minor moves, one other guy that I wouldn't be completely opposed to seeing as an option would be George Hill. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that would be a nice little small move. Uh, but, you know, anyway, going back to where if I see them as, a, uh, as you know, the best and, you know, favorites in the East, not quite yet. Um, like you said, the lack of perimeter defender really makes a uh, perimeter creator really makes that a question mark. I mean, Kyle, uh, Tobias Harris has definitely been showing signs this season of being a closer, but show me in the playoffs, then I'll trust you you know, type of thing. And he doesn't, he, unless he has a mismatch, but even in those times where he's like hit clutch shots, he's either off of, you know, a Joel double team or him getting a mismatch on Kyle, uh, Alex Caruso, you know, he, he might not always get that. So you got to find that guy that can create for himself. And I will and, say like in, in the Sixers defense, Joel has looked like that guy at, at certain points. He does. His oh, yeah. mid-range game has been much more prolific than it has been in the past, and so forth. But uh, like they they need another guard who can dribble and 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 the problem with Joel being your closer is, is that he he can't he has to get the ball given to him. He doesn't dribble the ball down the court. Yeah, you know he he doesn't dribble and create off the dribble. He shouldn't be doing that because there's risk of turnover. Then that's it. He again, like we have seen him Very kind of do shot. that in spurts, like where he's getting mm-hmm. the ball at the top of the key and kind of creating from the middle, and that's worked pretty well. So maybe yeah. that is something he can do. Um, again, yes, it goes back to them. They just need another guard who can dribble. <laughs> the question, I guess, is there a guard? Of, yeah. Because I don't think Victor Oladipo is going to be available. I I don't know if there is a guard, you know, outside of Lowry that you could fear, you know, feasibly get. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. The trade deadline's normally pretty hectic. There might be something that pops up last minute. I I think Lowry's like the move if he's available, which that seems like the most plausible like star level guard that Philadelphia could get without. You know, selling the entire house. So I'm. I know you've been a big proponent of that. You've written about him many times on the site. You've mentioned him many times on the podcast. So and I will I, continue I will to do so. <laughs> I will continue to do so yeah. until it happens. I, I will be pushing for this. But yeah, no. It, it, like I said, I don't think Oladipo is on the move. I think they would ask too much for Levine, and Beal would take. You know Simmons, and I I'd be hesitant. I'm not saying that I wouldn't, but I would be hesitant, unless I know Beal's committed to the long haul, which I think he would be. But we would need to get help on the perimeter elsewhere. That being said, you know it's. I think that they're making a push, and it's it's harder for me now than it was two weeks ago to say, oh. No, they're not a contender. I think they're getting closer, Chris, and I think they're making a strong case. A win against a you know, hot 
Sacramento team like this, if they go three and one or four and zero on this road trip, it's going to tell a lot. And the way that they're playing right now is it's totally possible. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I think they're much closer than we thought they were. I mean, Embiid being one of the five best players on the planet certainly helps. He's playing. He's a much better player now than he was even last postseason when he played extremely well against Boston, albeit he didn't have nearly enough help for that to matter. Like He, he has put together some really strong postseason runs now. I don't think there's that concern that there was early in his career that he can't produce at the same level in the postseason. Like, I'm, I'm not concerned at all about Joel in the playoffs. I think he'll, he, he'll thrive. But mm-hmm. as, as far as the complementary talent goes, I'm still not entirely sold. But, you know, Milwaukee, again, in Brooklyn... It's like Kevin Durant, Kyrie, James, all those guys have playoff experience. They've succeeded at the highest levels in the playoffs, Katie and Kyrie specifically. And a lot of playoff basketball is just like sluggish, like half-court slogs where defense is really key into guys and you have to create on the fly. And not many teams are better equipped to do that than Brooklyn. The defense is a huge concern, mm-hmm. and I know there aren't a lot of like championship contenders who are as bad defensively as Brooklyn seems to be. But the the offense just might be too good for it to really matter. And again, Milwaukee, they haven't proven it yet at the highest level, but they they got the goods, and I I, I would still favor those two teams. It's like the same situation with Utah in the West. Like they they they've been. Far and away the best team really in basketball so far. I mean, mm-hmm. record wise they are. They've won a lot South of games recently. Offense and defense. Yeah, they've been just murdering teams. And I, I still don't think the Jazz are going to you know, beat the Lakers in the playoffs. I, I, I'm skeptical. So mm-hmm. Sixers are certainly putting themselves in the discussion. And they've been a really good team so far. But I think they might be a piece or two away still. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, um, and let me just touch on the Jazz here real quick. The Jazz actually remind me of the you know mid two thousand Pistons. That's that's who they remind me of. I think that that's I mean the def- defense. You know, no true superstar. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's a star, but he's probably a number two on a title contender, like a legit title contender. He's not a number one. That being said. Here's my way that I would try to beat the Nets. We know that Matisse Thibault's defense can really bother opposing point guards. You put Matisse on Kyrie, and then you put Ben on Harding because we know that Ben on Harden works. And then you just hope that you know you make sure that it's um, you make Kevin Durant beat you, and if you if he does, that's you just gotta live with that. But I think you can shut down those other two, and those two are the two primary playmakers, and that really hurts the other guys like Joe Harris. I don't think it's impossible to beat the Nets. You know, defensively, they're going to have their issues with Joel and basically anybody really. And yeah. then the and then the Bucks. We know that Joel's like one of the few players that give Giannis problems one on one. Chris Middleton isn't a closer yet though i think he's getting close and if he does gosh that makes them a legit contender um drew holiday is drew holiday he's gonna play great 
defense, offense, he's going to get you 17 to 20 points in the playoff game. But that's about it. And, I mean, that's great as a third option. But Yeah, I mean, I think – I really think we aren't giving the Bucks like, what – like, the credit they deserve. They've – Yeah, Chris Middleton's getting out of his spots. mind this year. Yeah, they're the number two seed. Middleton has been great for a while. He's playing some of the best basketball of his career. Giannis mm-hmm. is still Giannis. They have Drew Holiday who can – defend the crap out of the ball and do a lot of good things offensively too. Mm -hmm. Like Joe has been pretty much matchup proof this year, but he still struggles every now with double teams. The Bucks have arms for days. They have Lopez, who is one of the few guys who who can handle Joel physically in the post. You have Giannis hanging around, you know, bringing doubles. He can probably spend some possessions on Joel too. They have a lot of great perimeter defenders. You know, Holiday and Middleton are guys who can who can get into Ben and give him problems, get into Tobias and give him problems. Like that that team's built pretty well to handle what Philadelphia has right now. Like I I think we are like I don't think people are taking Milwaukee as seriously as maybe they should because they aren't the number one seed right now like they've been in the past. We've seen them flame out a couple of times, so they're they're, they're kind of like old news, but. The Bucks are, are really good, and they're going to be they're going to be a pain, I think, when the playoffs come around. And with regards to Brooklyn, I, I too like they're definitely beatable. Like the defense is is pretty dicey. Um, the path to beating them obviously is just Joel bulldozing whoever they have in the middle, whether that's Jordan. Well, we're have to average 40, 40 in that series. Yeah, if it's magically Andre Drummond, however it goes. It's going to mm-hmm. come down to Joel just picking apart that defense. Like you said, I think Matisse on Kyrie and Ben on Harden is a pretty good place to start. Um, there aren't too many better guys better equipped to give those guys issues. So I do think Philadelphia has a, a, a fighter's chance in that series if the Bucks don't make any massive improvements defensively. But uh, again, well, making, but you mean the next Nets, not the Bucks? Yeah, the Nets. Sorry, sorry. So, because the Bucks have been struggling yeah. on defense until recently too. Yeah, I'm. I'm really not worried about the Bucks defensively. I'm not. They're gonna figure it out. They have. They're. they're... Yeah. Well, the, you know the difference is that they're switching this year versus not switching, mm-hmm. and they they're just learning how the, they're fixing their problems during the regular season this year so that they don't have... You know what I mean? Because Yeah, I mean, like, the, the thing with Budenholzer past couple of years has been that he just hasn't made adjustments when adjustments have needed to be made. So them taking a few steps back in the regular season to try new things and to figure that out and to make changes that have been a long time coming is a good thing. Yeah. And I have, I have no doubt that Milwaukee's going to be right there with, with Brooklyn and Philadelphia in Boston and whoever, like like when the playoffs come around, mm-hmm. I I'll might say Milwaukee is my favorite team in the East right now. So uh, I mean they're they're up there. So I I, 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 I I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be a homer here and go with the Sixers just because I think the Sixers can beat the Bucks. But let me tell you something though, if Budenholzer uses Giannis as a pick and roll as the you know screener and the pick and roll in the final minutes of a playoff game and in general during the playoffs. And allows Middleton to unleash his mid-range game, which he definitely has off the dribble. I think that that's going to make them dangerous. Um, I mean, but, like the, I can't stress enough how good this Bucks team is. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. any like slight 
bumps in the road that they've hit, they're going to get over them. Like the Bucks are going to be as close to a buzzsaw as we're going to get in the East. I, I, I still think Brooklyn, I, 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 it's just tough for me to see Brooklyn truly, really flaming out with the three guys that they have. But the what Bucks about are the, legit. The Celtics? What about the Celtics? I, I mean, uh, I, I like the Celtics are sort of in the, they're a better defensive team, obviously, than, than Brooklyn by a pretty solid margin. But mm-hmm. with respect to Philadelphia, like the center rotation is still a pretty big issue. That's something Phillies can take advantage of. Um, Tatum and Brown. Yeah. yeah. Tatum, Brown, Smart, Kemba, like that's a really solid group. I don't think the Celtics sh- should be discounted. They have guys who have exploited the Sixers pretty consistently in the past. Brad Stevens mm-hmm. is a good coach. So the Celtics are definitely a problem, but I think Milwaukee and Brooklyn are the teams to beat right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, maybe if they could, what if Andre Drummond, well, no, it doesn't matter where Andre Drummond is going because he's not going to fix any team's problems. Yeah, when it look, Andre to- Drummond is just not as good as people think he is. Well, to be fair, is there any center that could go to either the Nets or the uh, you know Celtics that would be like, oh, they're going to be able to slow Joel down enough to where it's going to cause problems. Cause the only two guys, three guys, if you count Al Horford, but I don't think he's, you know, sure. I think he has his prime. At this yeah. Point. I'm, so, I'm Mark, super so. excited for when Boston uses their trade exception on, on Al Horford. Um, that would be but, hilarious. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that's a slippery slope because like Joel is so unique and there are so few guys who can truly, you know, quote unquote, contain him one on one. But there are a lot of centers who would change things drastically for Boston against other teams. You know, mm-hmm. if Miles Turner somehow ended up on the block. He'd like vault the Celtics pretty far forward, in my opinion. So there, there are definitely like, yeah, roots to them getting better that might not explicitly impact the Sixers series as much as it would other series and other teams. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the Celtics I, could avoid us. I, I know, I you know, I, I, it's weird to say because they swept us last year, but if they could avoid us and get an upgrade at center, like you said, Miles Turner, or even, gosh, if they even got Andre Drummond, and you know, but like, I don't think that they would go for him because Tristan Thompson's like, you know, less mistake prone version of Andre Drummond, not nearly as tall, but um, you know, like. Tristan Thompson is not a bad center. He's not. Um, yeah, like, like the Celtics are, are a good team. They're probably in that second, third tier. tier. Like, I, I think Milwaukee and Brooklyn are at the top. Philly and Boston are probably the next guys up. And then you have, like, the Miamis, the Indianas, and whatnot. Um, I, I mean, I, I still think Miami's going to turn it around at some point. <laughs> I mean, Bam I and Jimmy are just too good. I think uh, they'll get it to the play-in. I mean, I I would venture to say they're probably going to be a, a beyond the play-in by the time. That we have, like, two-thirds the of the The Raptors are left. closer than they are right now. Yeah, I mean, the Raptors and the Heat are both going to be in the playoffs, if if I had to. Don't think that the, the Knicks or the Hornets are going to hold on to their spots? I like the Hornets, man. Yeah. I like what yeah, they're doing. I mean, the Hornets are fun, and the Knicks are... The Knicks or something, but like Toronto, <laughs> Toronto and Miami are gonna—they're they, better teams. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, I guess if that's the case, then would you really trade Lowry? I mean, I don't know. That's that's just one of those things. Well, if you're Toronto, I think if you're going to trade Lowry, you look at it to where you you don't want to just be like a middle-of-the-road playoff team at this point. Yeah. Like, it's time to tear it down before Siakam's too old, before other factors play out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Well, Chris, I think it's about time to play it out. Do you want to play us out? Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. We are very excited to keep bringing you these midweek podcasts moving forward. So we're going to be coming out regularly twice a week, which is an exciting new development. We hope that you will tune in for both our podcasts each week. Give us a five-star review. Give us a rating on iTunes, wherever you are listening from. It would help us a great deal. And we would really, 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 truly appreciate it. And as always, we just are, are so genuinely appreciative of all of all the love and of all the listeners who, who give us the, the time of week to talk basketball. So we'll be back early next week on Monday with a fresh episode. And we'll talk to you all then. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.